0: transitioning together. Um, so yeah, we're in a season of change. And I suppose we just wanted to talk about that and, and acknowledge that. Um, we've had a lot of change, day leaving, day um, looking for a new person. And, and, but at the same time, this sort of feeling like we're entering a new season. I suppose we're to see God, time to think what does the future look like and then sort of pray and go towards almost developing a vision for what that can be, um, what God wants to do here. Um, in, this, in this region, in this area at this time. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to talk about transition, and I suppose as, as well just acknowledge that it's hard, um, that change is hard, um, uncertainty is difficult, um, and there's, there's a whole lot of things, that, emotions and stuff that come with that. But at the same time, there's also an excitement, and there's also a hope, and there's also a looking to the future and a need for courage. Um, so we've been going through this last couple of weeks, just going through this, this book of Colossians, this sort of little book, in the New Testament that Paul the Apostle wrote. Um, if, you, if you want to catch up on any of them, they on the podcast. I'm just going to kind of jump right in today. Um, so we got a fair bit I want to get through. Um, and I don't want to go too long. So um, I'm just going to sort of get straight started. But this, this letter, I think, is so, it's so good because it's this church that's doing well, but they're facing some opposition, some difficulties. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. But We're kind of saying, well, this is not really meant to be like heavy sort of Bible teaching, but just sort of using Colossians as a bit of a base, To think, how can we pray at this time? How can we come together at this time? How can we just center on God together at this time? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started in Colossians. So Father, we just just thank you that that you're faithful, that you're good, that you're true, and that that you're present here. Jesus, thank you that by the Spirit you're present in us. And we just ask that that you be more and more present in our midst. Um, We just know that you are here. And would you come more tenderly, more powerfully? And, and now, Lord, as we just read your word uh, that, that we spoke thousands of years ago, Lord, that still speaks into our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you would You speak into our hearts, God? Would you just take this word, um, take what you've done in me, and, God, would you just work it out in, individually in different hearts and as a community and as a whole, God, would you speak? Um, thank you that you are with us and you've come before us like Ailey was saying, and we just ask God that that you would, you would work and do that, even just now, tonight, we can come in that way, Father. So just yeah, place ourselves in your hands, in your name Jesus. Amen. Cool. So I will say, this this book, Colossians, this is a group of, of Christians, and they, they know Jesus, but there's this other groups, it seems, that are sort of coming against them and trying to draw them away from Jesus. And it's actually a little bit debated exactly who those groups are. Um, Some people sort of think it's more pagan sort of religion or Gnostic religion, this idea of like a jewel, like spirit is good, body is bad, you need to have these super spiritual experiences to meet with God, and it's like Jesus is not enough, you need to have these amazing experiences. So some people sort of think that, other people think it's a mix of that and as well as sort of Jewish um, um, nationalists almost, saying like, okay, you're Christians, that's good, but if you really want to meet God's people, you need to become Jewish you need to become circumcised, you need to keep the Sabbath, and need to keep the food laws, and that's what it really means to be God's people. And some people say it's sort of a mix. Where I've kind of landed with this is it's probably mostly that, and you'll see sort of as we go through, it's probably mostly Jewish people saying that you need to come this way, that Jesus is good, but really to follow God, you need to become a Jew. And I think this is good because in some sense, we face similar cultural pressures today. I've been talking about this in some ways, that, that we come to Jesus and, and believe him, but then, and then talk about him, here this Sunday, but then we go out through our week and we'll face constant pressure, cultural pressure, to move beyond Jesus. To say, well, Jesus maybe was good in the past and maybe there's some good things about Jesus, but actually, we just need to get on and do the job. We don't really need him. Actually, sometimes he gets in the way. Actually, we just want to go and, and move beyond. And it's almost like a post-Christian Culture likes some of the things of Jesus but doesn't really want him. As well there's even pressure sort of, in our culture in some ways just to be a cultural Christian. Kind of tick the box, yes I believe Jesus, that's my religion, but it doesn't actually really impact my life I don't really live with him. And Paul is speaking to the Colossians, and I think this word can speak to us that actually what he wants for them is to be really strong, really strong in Jesus. Who he is, what he's done. That's why when we read last, last couple of weeks, Porter's paints this amazing picture of who Jesus is. Because he wants them to be so confident and so assured that when they face cultural pressure to move away from Jesus, they need extra things or yeah, we really need Jesus, he's kind of good, but you really need to get on to these other things. That they can stand and be strong. And that's what we really need right now, in, in, in Australia in the West particularly. But particularly in this time of transition, when when there's fear and uncertainty. We can go to something else rather than say strong on Jesus. So that's sort of where we're going. And as we do that, what I really want to talk about tonight is, is who we are, our, our identity. We're going to say whose we are. That there's some things about us that because of Jesus and because of who he is and our identity with him doesn't change. And as we transition, here are Rivers, as the culture shifts, as the pressures are changing, there's some things that stay the same that were stronger, and what I just want to look at tonight, as we go through this passage, is three, three things. Who are we? What are the things about us that stay the same? What are the things about us that we need to be stronger? We need to stand on and hold to. So we're going to go through from Colossians six and we'll sort of pull it out. I'll kind of keep it pretty simple tonight, although this is not a very simple passage. It's actually really confusing for us to see as we go through, but I'm going to try and make it really simple. So this is what Paul says to the church. So he has been talking right about Jesus. He's been praying for them. He's been thanking God for them. He's he's given this amazing scripture of Jesus. He's he's the ruler above all powers and authorities. He said that Paul's struggling for them. And then he says, therefore, so it's based on everything he said before. This is like a key passage in this book. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." So he wants this rooted, built-up, established thanksgiving. This strong focus on Jesus for the Colossian church. And who are we? What is our identity? What is the first and foremost identity for us that we get from this passage? That like we are Christ. That's what I was saying before. Identity is found in Him. We belong to Him. And again, not as just a cultural Christian, yes, that's my religion. Not as that, like, yes, there's some good things about Christ, but actually we just need all these other things. But actually we are found in him, our life is in him, we grew in him, everything is centred around him. And there's some awesome pictures that Paul uses in these verses. I've been um, doing a bit of walking recently, um, just around Kalinga. It's been awesome. I've actually it's been really enjoying it. Like, I've actually been doing it just as a as a way to think, as a way to pray. I've been finding it easier to pray while walking rather than just sitting. I don't know if it's just easier when you're moving sometimes. So I've just been getting up and walking around Colonga. And I've just been noticing things I didn't notice before. There's actually heaps of awesome trees in Colonga. There's like some amazing parks. There's like, there's actually lots of playgrounds and basketball courts. They just don't really get used very much. You kind of see the basketball court here, basketball court there, all over the place. And, and just these big trees, and I've just been loving just walking past these big, big trees. And I was just thinking the other day like this, these massive trees. And the reason they can stand so strong and so tall is these deep roots. Like you can't see them, but they go incredibly deep. But there's these, then there's these trees across from Lilybrook. You can see the roots. These trees, again, huge. And they you roots, they spread. And you can you have a look at them. they go down deep as well. But this idea of being rooted right this, this strong steadfast stable rooted into the ground so the tree can stand this is what paul's talking about he says that they are rooted in christ and he's saying this happened to them when they believed jesus when they heard about him when they put their faith in him when they said jesus is Lord I believe him he's risen from the dead they were made in christ they are rooted in christ so it's not just this standing on Christ, it's rooted, deep roots into Jesus. That's happened. But then these things that go on keep happening, they're being built up. So it's like roots into Jesus, they being built up like a house in Jesus. Then established in the faith, he wants them to be, it's this idea of being confirmed, or like strong and strong, like strengthened in that faith and belief in Jesus. And then that grows to abounding, or some other translations say overflowing in thanksgiving. You see, he wants everything to be around Christ, rooted, built up, strengthened, thanksgiving, overflowing, all around Jesus. I've been saying this each week, but I think it's so important at this time that that that's who we are. That we are Christ. Again, we, we are a church of Christ, and that's like the denominational name, but we are a church of Christ. Like, this is Christ's place. We are here for Him, and not just as the name on the door but as him, the risen Jesus, and his presence. There's this passage in, in Exodus when Moses is, has left Egypt with the people and he's talking to God, and, and he says to God, unless you go with us, unless your presence is with us, what will make us different from anyone else? What will make us special? We won't go unless you go with us. And it's the same for us. That it's not enough to, we just say, yes, we're Christian, or yes, we're Church of Christ. We actually are Christ's mentioning his presence, his power, that everything is found in him, built up in him, strengthened in him. So as we've been saying each week, especially in this time of transition, it's the time to stand strong on Jesus, to look at him, to trust him, to encourage each other, to point each other to him. As, as we, we see difficulties and problems, we keep pointing back to him. So first point, who we are? We are Christ. Then he keeps going. Now he gets starts to get into this, this thing that they're facing. He says it like this: "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit." Now this is not saying Paul's against philosophy. Um, he's like using the word philosophy to describe this system or this this other religion almost that, that these people are getting drawn away to. The NIV calls it a hollow philosophy. So he's saying according to human tradition. So he's saying they say that they're saying that they're the people of God, but that's actually just human. They're saying that it's an amazing spiritual God thing, but it's actually just human. According to the elemental spirits of the world. So it's just basic principles of life, or elemental spirits, and it's not according to Christ. So Paul's saying you're facing this pressure. People are making arguments. People are, people are thinking that they've got all the answers. People are pulling you away. Maybe some of it sounds really good, but actually it's just empty deceit. It's just human thinking. It's elemental, and it's not Christ. Don't listen to it. Four, in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's saying Jesus is God. Right. Jesus has all the power of God. Jesus knows everything, and you have been filled in him. He's saying to them, You don't need to go to this other group who's saying other things. When you know Jesus who is God, and you've been filled with him, who is the head and rule of of authority. Jesus has all the authority, all the power, and you know him, and you've been filled with him. Don't go listening to the pressure to move away from him. Then he says this, is very confusing. He says, in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now again, this is kind of good indicator that this group is Jewish, because if they're Jewish, then they'll be saying to the Christians that if if, if they're men, if you really want to follow Jesus, you you really need to follow God and be part of the people of God, you need to be circumcised. But Paul again says to the Colossians, you've been circumcised, not physically, but one made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's saying there's actually something that's happened in you spiritually that has identified you as the true people of God having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So again, this, this verse is a bit confusing, and it can even be interpreted in a few different ways. Um, particularly this idea of what is the body of flesh? What is putting off the body of flesh? Some translations even, even say it's, it's the sinful nature, or the, when we use the word flesh to say what uh, parts of us that are opposed to God. One commentator I was reading, though, had an interesting interpretation of this that, again, Paul's speaking against this cultural pressure to, to go and join a different group that's saying we're the true people of God. And say that the Jew, Jews are the true people of God, you need to come and join this group. Or, as well, there might be pressure from even pagan groups and saying that there's these, these pagan gods and you need to listen to those gods, you need to follow them. And Paul is saying that actually you've been circumcised, you've come into the true people of God and you put off the body of the flesh. And, and this um, commentator says, he could be meaning the body of the flesh as in like your body of like, your, almost like your national identity or your previous allegiances. Like your people of your flesh. People who are like you, people that you've and been with before. He's saying actually yes, we put them off and being buried with Christ through baptism and now have new life. And it's this new people group of God that's found in Jesus. This is is how he describes it here. The phrase can easily mean stripping off the old human solidarities. It means stripping off the old human allegiances, or the old groups. And we used to be so loyal to this certain group, but actually when we come to Christ, we leave it. He says the convert, and stripping off his clothes for baptism, leaves behind as every adult candidate for baptism, in say a Muslim or Hindu society knows, the solidarities of the old life. So if someone's a Muslim, Particularly, and they want to follow Jesus. They, there's a good chance that they're going to be disowned by their family. They actually leave that through baptism, demonstrate that to the community, and actually have this new life. The solidarity of the old life, the network of family and society <coughs> to which, until then, he or she are given primary allegiance. Now, again, this is not saying that baptism is this magical thing that that makes you a Christian, but it's it's this physical demonstration to the community of the spiritual reality. That someone comes to Jesus and Paul saying they're, they're circumcised of the heart, they've been made right with God, they're in God's family, that's, that's invisible. But to be baptised is to visibly demonstrate that actually we're dying to our old life, including our old allegiances, including our, the old groups, and actually we are in a new family. And actually this is God's family. This is God's people. And actually, when we come to Christ, we actually come and become a family. And this is actually what God is looking for. That God is, is he does care for us individually, but what God wants is a people. He wants a group of people to dwell with. This is what he's been created. And we see that this is, this is kind of, this is who we are, right? And this can be taken wrongly. Probably on two extremes again. When you, might, you might be thinking this while I'm talking like, hang on to this sounds almost kind of cult-like. Like you're saying we have to leave our family, we have to leave all our groups, we have to be loyal to the church. Like that could be taken really wrongly, right? Like it could be terrible and it has been done. And that's not what I'm saying at all. But at the same time, I think sometimes we go to the other extreme. And we, we are so shaped by radical individualism that we don't realize that actually, to be baptized into Christ is to come as this new community that's actually a family. And actually, when we look at the Bible, is to be the primary group. Now, if that's healthy and good, that primary group will tell you to love your family and care for it. It won't be a cold bike at all. But it will actually be the primary group, the primary loyalty now. And that's not necessarily the individual church, but the people of God worldwide. This is how one commentator says it. He says it like this in his author. Baptism into Jesus Christ meant a total re socialization in which loyalty to the Christian group was supposed to replace every other loyalty. It's actually showing, actually, I'm in God's family now. These are my people. And actually, the beautiful thing about this, right, is we have all these groups in the world that define us. Um, particularly back then, the big group and the big issue here was Jew and Gentile, right? Like you're Jewish. If you're circumcised, if you keep the laws, if you follow read the Torah, you're Jewish. If you're not, you're a Gentile. It's, it's a very big distinction. We still have them today, right? Um, depending where you live, what country you're from, what color of your skin, what your economic class is, what your poli- particularly political party, right? Like becomes more and more divided. You're in this group, you're in this group, right? There's all these groups and things that we have. The beautiful thing of what God has done in Christ is he has broken down all of those barriers and created this new family where there's only one barrier. The one barrier is faith in Jesus, which demonstrated entered through baptism. And then the goal is that in this family all the other barriers are gone and it's made up of all these groups of people that would naturally be enemies but are united in family in Christ. Paul puts it like this in Galatians. I should say Galatians. He says, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ by putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This link to Abraham is like they're the true people of God. You see this idea, like the church is this family made up of massive diversity, slaves and free. Jew, Gentile, man people that would not be together are together in Christ. And actually that's who we are. We're not fundamentally meant to be a community that is, is linked by our love of the same type of worship Or by our love of or by our social class or by our education. We're not meant to be linked on that. There's okay for things to be similar like that. But the thing that links us is Christ and baptism into Christ. If we're in the family, that means we're in the family. Right? And that we're actually family. That means we actually care for each other. We actually love each other. We actually stay committed to each other. There's actually this element of this is not just a place to come as individuals, but to come together and be a family. So they say that we are Christ, that we are family, that, that, that God as actually making a people. And that who we are here is actually God's people in Colombo, along with the other churches. But that He has a significant call for us and for us to be that and to live into that. So we'll keep going. Last last couple of verses. This is when Paul says this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So again, he's talking to the Gentiles, people were not Jews, he's saying, You were dead. Right? You were outside of the people of God. Like you were not. In, you are out. And that's us. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our sins, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we were outside of the people of God, right? The people of God were the Jews Israel. And they had the law. And, and, And we need to keep it. And we haven't kept it, right? Particularly if we're not Jewish, right? we have probably haven't kept many of the Jewish laws at all. And and this law has condemned us. It's saying that God is holy and just and good, and we have failed to keep his laws. But he has set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Who see what Jesus has done? Is that we were bound, having to live under this law of doing the right thing, trying to be, trying to follow all the rules to be right. We couldn't do it. At the same time, maybe we've been bound in other ways: bound in sin, bound in fear, bound under rulers or authorities. But Jesus has freed us. Jesus has come to set captives free. This is the story of Scripture. So often it's from slavery. To freedom. And actually, we are a community of people that have been set free in Christ. We are not under a burden of law anymore. We don't need to live under a burden of fear. We are free from the power of sin even. And we need to live and stand in that again. And again, this may not look like that from the outside sometimes. Maybe our culture's definition of freedom may not look like that. But actually, we can live out this freedom in Christ, this is what Elizabethan talks about. This, as we stand in this, he says, a community of people that, in the midst of all the pain and sorrow and wickedness of the world, is continually praising God. Is the first obvious result of living by another story than the world, our world, lives by. Again, this type of freedom is not the freedom that the way the world defines freedom as freedom to do whatever you want. This is the freedom to live out our created design as worshippers of God and image bearers of God. We're actually free to follow Jesus, to know Him, to love Him. And we don't always live out that freedom, but it's available, it's there. And again, to stand in that particular this season, to not tolerate in ourselves slavery, to to come to God and to, to claim and to stand in the freedom and the victory that is won, and to realize that we are people who are free. We don't have to listen to the pressure that may be there. We're actually free. We don't have to follow the ways of, of our culture or the world. We are free. We don't have to stay enslaved to things that have bound us in the past. We are free in Christ. So we stand on these things in this season. that we are Christ. We are family. We are free. We are free by Him. And this can kind of make us start to feel like kind of good about ourselves, right? Like we sound kind of cool, right? Christ, yeah, we're family, we're free. This is awesome, we're pretty good. But none of that is because of us. We don't deserve any of that. The only reason that that is who we are, the only reason that that is our identity, the only reason we're Christ, we're fed, we're being brought into this family, the only reason we can be free is because of the cross. It's because Jesus went to the cross. And as we kind of think in this season about our identity, and who we are, you can kind of go to two extremes. John Stott says that on the cross, only at the cross, can we find a true and balanced understanding of ourselves. You see, we can kind of get out of whack with our self-image sometimes, it can be inflated, that we can start to think, yeah, we're, we're pretty good, we're pretty awesome, start to even be superior and look down on others. We'll start to have this prideful, inflated ego. But that's not really true. Right? We actually have lots of issues and failings and often don't live up to what we think of ourselves at all. But on the other hand, we can think of ourselves with this really self-hating, self-defeating, inferior, that was so bad and that was so terrible. But actually, that's not really true either. And it's at the cross that we can really see who we are what identity really is? When Jesus came to the cross, as this verse that we're reading here, is that He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Jesus came to the cross. Right. This is this idea that God, who made us, is perfect love. God is holy. He is separate to us. He is goodness. He is truth. He is beauty. He is justice. And He will only ever be true to Himself. He will not deny himself. God will not compromise with evil in any way. Yet we have. That we have fallen short of him. We were created to worship him and love him and love each other. And we have rejected him and we've worshipped other gods. We have not kept his rules of his, his law of love. We have, we have been full of pride or fear or sin. Yet, God wants relationship with us. He can't compromise himself. He can't compromise with evil. Yet, he's so full of love that he still wants relationship. He still wants to be with his people, with his creation. He wants to rescue. So, he comes and becomes a man. And he lives, and Jesus lives as a worshipper of God, as an image bearer of God. He lives and walks this earth, and again, does not compromise with evil in any way. And Jesus comes up against the rulers and authorities of the day. And they hate him. Right, the, the Roman government, this, this, this developed government of the day, the highest government, right, sets itself against Jesus and decides that he's a threat. Jesus is claimed to be king. It's a threat. And they set themselves against Jesus and put the full weight of their power and crucify him. And he dies the most terrible death. The Jewish religious system, this power and authority of the day, one of the most developed religions of the day, is threatened by Jesus. And they set themselves against him. And they yell, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. They they just reject Christ. And they kill him. And he dies on a cross. They strip him. They whip him. they, They reject him. And they think that they've defeated him. But the truth is, on the cross, Jesus is stripping them. Jesus is defeating them. Jesus is exposing them for who they are. Jesus exposes the evil of the world, the rulers or authorities that set themselves against him. Because when he dies, he dies as our representative. He dies and takes the sin of the world on himself. And he dies and he does away with the evil. So it's done. We die with him. Yet the power of his love and the power of God rises him from the dead. And he now is seated at the right hand, he is, he is victorious, and now we have this relationship of forgiveness and life with him, that we have died when he died. And therefore we cannot die again, we have this new life with him. Jesus has disarmed the rulers, the authorities, he has set away the legal code. Jesus has found a way for God to be holy and just and not compromise with himself, yet love us and rescue us and free us and make us his people. This is what God's plan all along. This is what one guy wrote about what was really going on. He said, who delivered Jesus up to die? It was not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. The Father sent him as an expression of his love, for people who have done evil and rejected God, yet his love was so great that he wants to reconcile and redeem. This is where we get to see who we really are and our identity, is at the cross. Tim Keller summarizes the gospel, summarizes this in one sentence. He says this, we are far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. It's not that we're awesome because we're not it's not that we're terrible, because we've been made worthy, because He loves us. And he's, he's, he's demonstrated that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So because of the cross, because Jesus did that, we are His. Again, this is not just to tick the box, and this is not like, oh, we can just move on. Like, because of the cross, Therefore, we stand rooted, built up, strengthened, overflowing with thanksgiving because of Christ and his love. We are family. Because of Jesus, he's broken down all these dividing walls and made a new family that we enter into. And then he calls us to be like him to each other and to love each other, not primarily in a sentimental love, but in a self-sacrificial love. Because again, the, the church, the idea of the church is it's is this unity and diversity. It's people who are very different, who are united in Christ, and the world just looks and says, that's impossible And we say, yes, it's impossible except for Jesus. And, and this sort of love is a love that actually says, actually, yeah, we're different. And it actually means the only way this can work is if we die to ourselves, if we are humble ourselves, if we care for each other, if, if, we, if we compromise, if we look to each other's interests, that's the only way this can work. The only way that can work is by spirit in us and we are free. He went to the cross, and he's moved away the written code. He's moved away the rules and authorities. He's freed us from the power of sin, and we get to live and stand in that His spirit, and grow in that, and continually grow in the freedom that he's purchased because of the cross. So as we transition, these things don't change, but these things are things that we have to stand in. These things we have things we have to be strong on. And, and, and this is the time to center on these non-negotiables, these things, who are we, who's are we, Cross, family, free. So we're gonna respond um, and take communion, which is really good, awesome way to respond to the cross. And as we do that, we, so we come in through baptism, right? we're forgiven, we put our faith in Jesus, we demonstrate that to the community through baptism. And then each week, we restate to each other This is this community that's centered around Christ and his cross as we take communion, We come back and we remember, and we say, Jesus has died for me. We confess our failings. We confess our sin and we receive his forgiveness and his life. And maybe you're here tonight, and this is is kind of new, or maybe you've heard this before, but you you have not taken that step and actually said, yeah, Jesus, I want to receive you. I believe you went to the cross for me. I want to give my life for you and trust you. And if that's you tonight, and if, if, you're, if you're just feeling God speaking into you, I just encourage you to cry, cry out to him and trust him. Put your faith in him. Feel free to come forward as we're, as we're singing later on. We'd love to pray for you or, to, or talk to someone about that. If, if God is doing something in you with that, it's, to just trust in him. All he wants is for us to trust him, to place our faith in him, and then does it. He takes over and then we just walk this walk of faith with Jesus. So I might play some music and then going and then to respond with communion and I'll just pray and just invite God to move into this space. So Father, we just, again, just thank you so much that your love goes, goes far beyond what we could ever think, God, That that you are perfect. And yet you have found a way to love people who are imperfect and to reconcile us to yourselves and to save us. And Jesus, we just come now to, to center on the cross, on your love, on who we are, God, that we are worse than we ever thought, but more loved than we ever, ever dreamed or before. God, would you just meet us in this place? Just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus, would you come and speak to our hearts and our lives? We pray in name. Thank mm-hmm. you.